Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett. What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of the Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is a six-second stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that tells heartfelt stories to help you maximize your impact and inspire action in minimal time. Check out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. What is up, my compelling storytellers, my storytelling lab listeners? Thank you so much for being a part of this show, being a part of this journey, and and following us and, and listening to these episodes. If you are a listener, you know how much of a fan I am of storytelling, how big of a part it is of my life, and uh, I'm just happy to be able to share that with you all. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but I am, and, and I'm, I'm happy that you're you're interested and willing to listen, and I hope that we are giving you some value and you are learning because that is what it is all about so that we can move forward as better storytellers. I gotta say... Today is the recap of season four, and man, this best season yet, best season yet, guys. No disrespect to seasons one, two, and three, but we just, we really, we really got some great guests this this season, and again, if you're a listener, you know, I mean, you know some of the people that we had on this season are mentors of mine, and people that I look up to in a major, major way, and so we just had some heavy hitters, and so what that tells me, and what I hope that tells you is that we are only going up. We are not going back. We're going to get bigger guests, better guests, better experts, people that will really, really help you on your storytelling journeys, okay? So this season, we covered a lot of ground and had some amazing people on, but I wanted to, as we always do, I wanted to give a good recap episode for those that haven't heard every episode 
or maybe you didn't have the time to listen to some of the longer ones, we've gone through, me and, and the Storytelling Lab team, Audrey and Chandler, and we have gone through and we've pulled out highlights of each episode that give great tangible takeaways that if you don't, it's the Cliff's Notes, right? If you don't have time to go back through and listen to all these things, this episode is going to give you the best of the best of each of these guests, and they were all the best. All right, so let's get into it. This is the recap of season four of the Storytelling Lab. Okay, so the first clip today is actually going to be from the first guest of season four, and this is somebody that, and I told him this, I say it on the podcast, every workshop, every speech that I've ever given on storytelling, I have cited his work and mentioned this man. This is Dr. Paul Zak, and he is the person, he and his team, who found that and proved that oxytocin was directly related to empathy and that if you told good stories, it would elevate people's levels of oxytocin and therefore create this space of trust they would trust you more and not only that but when those those levels of oxytocin are elevated and the empathy and the trust is there that it motivates people to act paul zach is a neuroeconomist and his team can actually predict and measure how likely one is to donate to a cause based on the levels of oxytocin that are in their system. I mean, this is what they do. So what we talked about when I had him on was why do humans respond to stories? Anybody that is in the storytelling space and almost anybody that's in the creative or marketing space understands they've always heard that stories is has been the way that humans communicate and connect with each other since the beginning of humanity, basically. It's a psychological thing. It's a primitive thing. Well, Paul Zach puts this into words that we can understand so it's not just this mythological you know, magic that's happening, but why we actually respond to stories. Check out what he has to say. Um, I have to give you 30 seconds of background. So the big problem in neuroscience is what we call a signal extraction problem. Hmm. So, Rain, most of what your brain is doing now is keeping you upright breathing and conscious. Mm-hmm. And a little bit's responding to my voice and the information in it. And so finding those little ribbons around all that background noise is extracting that signal out. And that's a hard problem. Yeah. And there's all kinds of algorithms and processing that have to be done. So I'm a practical guy. Let's start with the most simple thing. Let's get rid of that signal processing problem by looking at changes in neurochemicals. So that's why we started with blood draws. Mm-hmm. So we just said, for people who respond to this message in an objective way, is there a difference in neurochemical activity for people who respond versus those who don't? So let's run that version of that experiment as a zillion times and see what happens. And we found that neurochemicals associated with attention mm-hmm. were up in responders, but in particular with this emotional resonance that's driven by the brain's production of oxytocin. So if I have this, uh, so oxytocin increases empathy. So now suddenly I begin to share the emotions of characters. How do we know this? The attentional part's not interesting. Everyone knows that. That's, that's the, the important part was how do we measure that emotional response? And oxytocin seems to be a key part of that signal. So how do we know for sure? We've done a bunch of experiments where people watch stories and we infuse a substance up their nose to get into their brain, either placebo or synthetic oxytocin. Wow. If we give you synthetic oxytocin, you remember the story more, you are more, you care more about the characters, you'll donate more money if it's a charity. Like we can actually amp up that emotional resonance and we see 
verifiable objective actions occur because of that. So uh, again, with this money from the US government, we began measuring uh, imaging people's brains so we can see where those neurochemicals are active because we know where the receptors for those neurochemicals live. Um, we can manipulate them. And then again, as I said, we measured all these neurologic signals simultaneously so that we could find the ones that consistently predicted outcomes. And so once we had that, then we had a set of signals. We combined them in a way that optimally predicted outcomes and then needed a word for that. And so based on all this word and storytelling, we called this immersion. Um, you could call it narrative transportation. It's a neurologic state for me. And it's a variable state. So um, again, I've, I've got to take that narrative arc and do something with it, right? So the first thing is to create a setting and a, and a set of characters and get me intrigued about them. So we have found concretely that if you do not capture attention in 15 seconds in a story, that you're unlikely ever to get attention. So attention mm -hmm. is this sort of necessary condition. I gotta get you to pay attention because your brain, again, is doing so many other things to keep you alive. And the second is I've gotta get you to care about these characters. So how do I do that? I create some, some tension, some conflict, Something's got to happen with them. And then, you know, as some, you would know who, but some famous uh, writer said, you know, it's like for a, for a great novel, you need an opening and ending and the rest is filler, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but, I, but that filler's got to have a particular structure. So for example, um, immersion is very metabolically costly. So that's why it's not always easy to tell a great story. It takes a lot of energy from your brain. Your energy has so much it's got to do that it wants to sort of idle if it can. Sure. So I don't want to have a straight up narrative arc. I want to have kind of uh, mm -hmm. waves, and we see that in the data, kind of a sine wave it's, pattern. It's what I refer, I mean, it's the roller coaster, right? If you had a roller coaster that was just a drop or just a flat line or just a climb, like none of that, even the drop, if, if it's just that, is exciting. It's the twists and turns and the building up of that tension and then releasing it. Like Exactly right. Okay, so now that we've heard from Paul Zach on why humans respond to stories... I'm going to take us to a clip from Brant Penvidic. Brant is a Hollywood producer and has been for decades, but he's also the author of The Three-Minute Rule. And so now that we've learned why it works and why stories work, I want you to hear how you can use that quickly and efficiently, right? How can you get your message, your story, down to the bare bones, the essential items to influence the person that you are talking to? Brant comes from television, right? So from a pitching back background. And so what he helps people understand is how to take in three minutes or less your idea for a movie, your idea for a TV show, your idea for a book, your your marketing messages for your product or service, right? To take that big, big concept that you've spent years, you know, building and condense it down to the simplest, clearest, format and story that you can so that you can deliver it to someone else who understands it and locks on to it. That is the point. And the three minute rule, I got to say this book, I loved it. I loved it because it was, there was no BS there. He told stories to explain his points, but there was no fluff. It was just like step by step on how to, on how to build this three minute or less presentation. So I cannot co-sign that enough. If you haven't read that book, that is an awesome one. If you are going to be someone who is going to be pitching your products or ideas or services or yourself or anything, right? Okay, here's Brant Penvidic. Check it out. 
Well, there's a couple of reasons. The three-minute rule states that everything about business product or service of value has to be conveyed clearly, concisely, and accurately mm-hmm. in three minutes or less. And in those first three minutes, you got to uh, capture your audience's attention. You got to convey information and you got to create engagement. And it's not just about simplifying it in a, in a time frame. Mm-hmm. It's really about the idea that when people meet you and hear you present or pitch or speak – the yes or no in their head is already being formed. Mm. And if you use storytelling techniques, Hollywood storytelling techniques are some of the best, you can actually lead your audience with the information piece by piece. And you can extend that decision-making process so that they're not judging you until they get some information. And if you do it right, and if you use a storytelling process to feed your information and it's valuable and you do it in a succinct clear and deliberate way, you can actually extend that decision-making process for engagement for up to about three minutes. That's about the human limit before we start making that decision. And the reason is, is that humans make decisions in three steps. First, we conceptualize. Mm -hmm. So we have to understand what it is we're even talking about, thinking about. We have to build the concept in our brain. Then we um, contextualize, as in how does it work for me? How does this affect my life? Where do I come in? And then we actualize, which is how do I get it? Do I want it? What's the next mm. step? What does this cost? All those things, right? Totally. And you're never going to sell somebody in three minutes. It's not the way the world works anymore. We are all living in a decision by committee world. So For sure. it's funny. It doesn't matter when I say that phrase. I've said it in, <laughs> in, in 20 different countries. I've had translators saying that and I can hear the same groan. It's brutal, man. Every single time. But- so it's really not just who you pitch to, it's who they're going to pitch to. Okay, so question: if if yeah. if if people aren't making their decisions in three minutes now, like what? For me, they're is, deciding if they want to engage with you. Right. Okay. So that's what we're and that's after. That's the best case scenario you got. Is hey, you know what? I want to talk further. Hey, I want to mm-hmm. talk deeper. And then you can get into all those engagement level stuff about your idea. You've been dying to talk about, dying to say that only someone who understands it would find valuable. Right. It's like a movie. If you've seen a movie 50 times, you mm. know, every nuance, you know, the breaths yeah. that the characters take, you know, how every line connects together. And you're like, oh, my God, that is just so cool. The director did that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the person who watches the movie the first time, they don't see that. Yeah, correct. They see and they see the big picture stuff and the main plot pieces and they like it. And now if they watch it again, then eventually you guys can share your love of that movie. Mm. And it's the same thing with an idea. It's the same thing with a business. It's the same thing with a, a service. you got to get the big pieces so they understand it and like it. And then they can start going deeper. Okay, so now after we've heard from Brant Penvidic talking about how to communicate your story easily, simply, clearly, and efficiently, right? In three minutes or less. Let's think about let's think about another way we might pitch. Okay. We we talked about pitching in terms of selling an idea or selling yourself. So I have to do that as a video producer or having a video production company when we're selling clients. And and anybody that has clients, when you're trying to land a new client, a new potential client, and you're in the room with them, you have to pitch yourself as well. So John Livesey, who is a keynote speaker, 
and a writer as well. He's got a book called Better Selling Through Storytelling, and he's become kind of a mentor of mine lately. He's someone who I looked up to from afar, and, and we've made a good relationship, and he's introduced me to a ton of other people, and I just, I really, really appreciate his his work. And he comes from a sales background and selling advertising for magazines and things and things like that. And so what he talks about is how to pull people in with a story, right? And, and specifically, when you're pitching yourself to a client and trying to land a new client, how to take your case studies, other clients that you've helped out, and turn them into little vignettes, little case stories, as he calls them, to, to show your potential new client that you can do the job and close the deal, right? So instead of being pushy and salesy and saying, here's what I got, here's why I'm so great, you simply just tell them a story, a success story, as I call them, of when you've helped out someone else that was like them, similar to their business, and that pulls them in instead of pushing them, like pushing them, like, hey, hire me, hire me. All you gotta do is show and prove, turning your case studies into case stories. Here's John Livesey. Check out what he's got to say. The best part of storytelling is you become magnetic Mm. and you pull people in with a good story. Right. The old way of selling is to just to push out a bunch of information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exhausting to you and nobody likes to be pushed. I like that concept of pulling them in versus pushing them. Mm -hmm. Right. And the closing happens the entire process. Mm. It's not like you're one person at the beginning developing rapport. It's like landing a plane, right? You know when you get on a plane from L.A. to New York where you're going. And when you're landing and they say, you know, we're now landing in New York, not one person ever stands up and goes, what? We're landing? I thought we were just going to fly around forever. Mm-hmm. And yet in business, if we could have endless conversations. No, 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 mm-hmm. no. We're landing this plane. We're co-pilots. And we have an agreement of if all these things fall into place, you have a need, here's your time frame, you have a budget. You know, it's not a surprise that we're landing the plane, mm-hmm. just like it is in the supplies when you are on a plane. Uh, So one of the best things to do is to turn a case study into a case story. Please, yeah, this is where I wanted to go with this too. So perfect. And and when you do that and people see themselves in that story of someone you've helped that was just like them, and by the way, here's the secret to this, Rain, is you're not the hero of the story. Mm. The other client is. You're the Sherpa, you're Yoda in Star Wars. (laughs) Right? You're the person helping. The guide, yeah. Yes. So the client has to see themselves oh, you helped another electric company or somebody else that had the same challenges mm-hmm. I did, and you got them from struggling to soaring, from confused to clarity, from boring to inspiring. You take them on this journey in that case story of, oh, and now what's their life like after working mm-hmm. with you? Oh, sales are up, you know, da, da, da. All, you know, they, don't, they sleep better, they have their ideal clients, you know, the, all those things. Oh, so that when that closing line comes, after you've told the case story, does that sound like the kind of journey you'd like to go on with me? It's pulling them in. It's not, you know, Maslow said, if the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, you tend to go around looking for nails to hit. Love it. So salespeople without stories are just have hammers. Mm. Salespeople with st- stories have a magnet to pull people in. Mm. Here's, a, here's a journey. Here's what I do. If this sounds like, you know, if you see yourself in the story, that's the magic part of will this work for me? I can see myself in that story. Yes, please. 
Okay, so there there are lots of reasons why people listen to my content and want to become better storytellers, right? We we know that we can use storytelling to sell our products and services by by increasing the empathy and trust in, in our potential market, our potential customers and clients, right? We know that we can use storytelling to pitch our ideas to people. We know that we can use storytelling to land potential clients. But there's another way that we can use storytelling to to promote our ideas and concepts that we believe in, right? And another another thing that so many of of the people who listen to the show and follow my content are trying to do and how they're trying to use storytelling is on the stage. People that want to be speakers, they want to promote their message and their thoughts and their ideas and their views on the world through being speakers, through doing workshops and coaching and keynote speeches, right? So this is a path, a journey, a story that I am in the middle of myself. Two years ago in 2018, I made a commitment to make speaking a bigger part of my life. Maybe not full-time speaker, but at least part-time speaker because I knew that was a way I could reach new people and deepen my impact on my audience and grow my audience. And it's it's been effective. Um, so I know that when I put out that information, I kind of draw in a certain type of person that wants to to emulate that and follow that journey and become speakers themselves. Now, one of the people who was a mentor to me and I learned from is Grant Baldwin. Grant Baldwin is the host of the Speaker Lab, not to be confused with the Storytelling Lab, and a course that I actually signed up for called Booked and Paid to Speak. Grant has helped thousands of people. He's been a full-time speaker for a long, long time, but now his business coaches other potential speakers and so many success stories have come from from his coaching program. And the best thing about Grant, he's got a book out called The Successful Speaker. The best thing about his program is that it lays out the business of speaking in a simple, easy to follow roadmap. And he actually has an acronym called SPEAK, S-P-E-A-K, that outlines the five major steps of that journey. Here's Grant explaining the speak process. Uh, we, we teach what we call the speaker success roadmap, um, which is a, uh, a five-step process that makes the acronym speak, S-P-E-A-K. So uh, what we can do is I, I can give you the overview of it and then we can dig in wherever you want. But sure. uh, the first part of the process is the S, to select a problem to solve. Select a problem to solve. This is the most important part of the process is you have to be really, really clear about who you speak to and what is the problem that you solve for that audience. The next part of the process is the P is to prepare your talk, prepare your talk. And so most speakers at this point, uh, once we figure out who we speak to, what's the problem that we solve, now we have to figure out what's the solution. Uh, and this is where we dig into storytelling and, and using humor slides and intros, outros, that sort of thing. Uh, the E is the, uh, establish yourself as the expert. This really comes down to two primary marketing tools that you really need. You really need a website and you really need a demo video that can show mm-hmm. other potential clients that this is what you do. And this is why you are a good fit for their event. The A is acquire paid speaking gigs, acquire paid speaking gigs. So it's more than just, okay, I got my website. I know what I want to speak about. Now I just sit back and I wait for the phone to ring. Like that doesn't work. Like if you build it, they will not come. And so (laughs) you've got to be proactive in having a system in place to actually be able to consistently find and book gigs. And then the last part of the process is K, know when to scale, know when to scale. What we mean by that 
is there's a lot of people who are interested in speaking, but uh, speaking is just one methodology of how they could help people or share their message. So they, a lot of people are also interested in uh, doing a podcast or doing a YouTube channel or writing a book or uh, doing a course or coaching or consulting or any number of things. And so you can do all the things, but you can't do all the things at once. Something's going to come first. Something's going to come last. So you got to be really, really clear about how speaking fits into the mix. So again, that's kind of the big picture process that we walk people through, that we teach people uh, that makes, again, that speak framework. Uh, of how do you actually find a book gigs and how do, where do you get started? Next up, we're going to hear from Jay Akunzo. Okay, now we've learned different ways to use stories to to spread our messages in in kind of big ways, right? In the in the production meeting when we're trying to sell our show, when we're trying to land clients, when we're on stage speaking, right? But there's also subtle, smaller ways that we can use storytelling in our everyday communication and marketing, okay? That's called content marketing. When we put out content, we can use stories and all of that to do the same thing that we've already learned in this recap and through season four to pull people into our messaging and our beliefs and the views and, and that we have of the world and business, right? So Jay is an expert content marketer. Uh, I followed his work for a long time. I've read his book, Break the Wheel, and he's just got, he's got such a great perspective on how to approach marketing in general and how it there are no best practices for everybody that that concept is flawed and we often try to find the best practices instead of trying to find the best practices for ourselves right what is the what is the language and and the communication style that's going to work for us with our product or our brand and our audience right what are the stories that we need to tell we don't need to look at another brand and say well they're telling these stories in this way on this platform so i got to do the same thing so content marketing is a great way to reach your people and do effectively what stories do right to pull them into your sphere instead of being pushy about it and nobody i don't think could explain it better than jay so here is jay talking about what exactly is content marketing and how can we use it i'll try to give a definition to content marketing really broadly um content marketing is solving the same problem that your product or service aims to solve mm -hmm. but through media you create and own and distribute instead of the product or service. So if you sell marketing software, ostensibly, you know, you have a vision for how that marketing software is different than every competitor of yours. And maybe your whole thing is we're trying to help people in a crazy world of marketing, make their marketing simpler. Mm -hmm. And so you latch on as a brand to this idea of everything we do is about helping marketers make their jobs simpler. Okay, well, in your product, you're probably making choices like we're not going to have a lot of features. We're going to be very beautifully designed, like all these choices that you make because of what you're trying to solve in the world for your uh -huh. audience is the idea of simplicity. Okay, well, if you then go to promote your product <laughs> instead of running an ad to just talk about your product and say, hey, we exist and have a product, yeah. you can start creating media, whether it's blog posts, social posts. Uh, audio, video, you start creating things people want to consume that actually adds value to their life hmm. discreetly by consuming it. They're not just made aware that you have value, they're actually experiencing some of that value in the content, but it also maps directly to your product and your vision for your brand because you're not gonna write a 35-page ebook about how to make this marketing stuff simpler, right? Yeah. You're gonna create easier to access content, very simple ideas. Maybe you're gonna be a whiz at naming these blurry concepts. Like let's call this the 
XYZ concept of marketing, right? Remember that simple phrase whenever you're trying to do this. And why are we teaching it this way instead of some scientific deconstruction of marketing with lots of data and 35 pages? Because we as a brand believe in helping you make marketing simple. Hmm. We do that through our content. And when you're ready to level up and get even more value to solve this problem in even better ways, we have a product or we have a consultancy, we have a service, we have something to sell you that's even better than the content, right? Um, so that's all this is. We conflate all these different definitions and we try to lace it with run-on sentences. I think it's about if you start by being in touch with your business and what problem you, you're solving and how it's unique the way you approach it, your content marketing is solving the same problem that your business solves, but you're doing it through media that you create and own and distribute. Hmm. Where do they start? Talk to, talk to the people you aim to serve. When you talk to the people you aim to serve, not by looking at a chart somewhere, not by you know trying to track people, go out and reach out to the people you want to serve. And if you don't know who they are, go and participate in the community. If you're a photographer and you've never actually like had a client before, go participate in the community and add value before you ask for it. I mean, that to me is the biggest shift in marketing. Marketers defined their job for years as grabbing attention. Now it's about holding attention. It's not about who arrives. It's about who stays. So that is the kind of ethos you have to live out. So don't think about buying tech or ads or putting your link in more places you know, think about the job of a marketer is to add value to people's lives and find any way to do so. But start by going and talking to those people. Because if you don't know who they are, you don't know what they care about, you don't know where they struggle in their lives or their work, nothing you buy or no place you appear is going to matter because Mm -hmm. it's about the stuff inside those containers, right? So that's where I'd start. Go talk to people and you'll find all the answers you need. Okay, so now that we've learned how to talk to our specific audience, we got to dive a little bit deeper into talking about how, how we talk to them, right? And we talk to them by, by really by listening to them, listening to what they want. And so my next guest that we're going to hear a clip from is Rob Simulcare. And Rob is a, was a TV journalist and producer for NBC Sports and ESPN. And he created an app called Persona, which is an interviewing app, which is what Rob has done for his whole career is to interview people. I've also done this for my whole career as a documentary filmmaker. And there is no better way to peel back the layers and get to the heart of your audience or the person you're talking to and what makes them them than asking questions, asking why, right? And keep keep peeling back those layers. And when you do that with your audience, then you understand what they want, what they need, what they're looking for, and then you can understand better the stories you need to tell them to help them find those things that they want and need and are looking for. So if you wanna be a good storyteller, if you wanna be a good content marketer, interviewing, talking to people, and listening to their answers, really hearing what they have to say is the way to do it. Rob explains right here. Somebody asked me, what's your favorite question to ask someone? At the end of the day, the question is almost always why, right? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? Why did you not do this or that? Because why to me is generally the most interesting and, and the hardest question for someone to answer. Um, hard, not in a way that it's like a gotcha, mm-hmm. but in a way that it, it forces someone to dig in to their own motivations. And sometimes they, they don't even really know the answer as to why they did this or why they did that. So you're really making a, a big ask of someone to look inside themselves and ask, 
yeah, why did I do that thing? If you, if you ask the right questions and you connect in the right way, mm-hmm. you can get something amazing out of anyone. You know, everybody's got a story that's unique and it's worth telling. And most people are pretty reticent to tell them, to be honest. For sure. So that's the, the power of a great interview and great questions is getting people to dig in and reach into themselves and share a part of their history and their experience that can mean something to somebody else. My grandmother used to have an expression, because I was a very talkative young child, as you're probably not surprised to hear. Uh, she used to say, uh, Robbie, I was called Robbie back then. She'd say, Robbie, I have some advice for you. If, if you're going to open your mouth, the best thing you can do is ask a question. <laughs> that, that, was, that was always her saying, you know, because listen, you might learn something if you ask a question. If you're just popping off on what you think, you're not going to learn anything, but you might learn something if you ask a question. Okay, so we've talked about how to be a better interviewer and listening to your audience, but but we're going to stay right here for a moment, okay? Because I cannot emphasize enough that the best way, in fact, I might even say the only way to learn how to communicate and tell stories to your audience is to communicate with them. And the best way to do that is to listen. We're going to hammer this home. My next guest is Sherlet Ammons, who's also from Eastern North Carolina, and she's a filmmaker and poet and musician and just an an all-around awesome person. And she works to help tell untold stories specifically of the South. And this is why I was so excited to have her on the show because these are the people that I fight for as well. So she talks about how to listen to those people, but specifically how to how to find and mine those untold stories. As she says, everybody has a story to tell. They always do. And so when we're thinking about how we find our clients and the people that could be our clients, like sometimes we need to listen in unexpected places or not easy to find places or not the mainstream places, right? But to listen to everyone because really everybody's got a story to tell, okay? And so I I was so excited by this episode just because, you know, there's a there's there's a there's a general thought about the South, about what it looks like and, and what it doesn't look like to people that aren't from there. And 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 it's kind of a you know a one one way narrative, if you will. But Charlotte and I know that there are so many different diverse stories in the South. It is still this melting pot of culture that the only way to share those stories is to have someone that is good at listening and then retelling those stories. And this is exactly what Charlotte does so, so well. Check it out. Well, first of all, everybody has a story and every story is valid. Everybody deserves the opportunity to share their story. Um, and quite often, our, well, all of the time, our stories are not our own. You know, our stories are part of many other stories that we've collected over time. And they weave together, you know, um, generational stories. Quite often, you know, as a Black Southern uh, storyteller, uh, I recognize that quite often I'm, I'm in the position of telling stories that have never had the opportunity to be told. Like, like legitly like people were killed and and maimed and hurt and you know for uh for speaking out and um so i don't take lightly this this platform and this privilege i have to be able to share stories of people who are quite often underrepresented or whose stories are unsung so 
um, learning, learning the value of that and learning that, um, and you know, it's probably about aging too and getting wiser. I hope <laughs> it's just like, yo, you don't take stuff like that for granted and you take care of what people's stories, especially mm. if they trust you to deliver them to a wider audience. I think the, the best storytellers are great listeners and ask the right questions at the right time or no, like to let silence just sit for a minute and not like overstep that in order to, you know, make it less awkward. Sometimes that awkward moment is the moment that needs to be created. You know, it wouldn't be interesting to hear like Vivian telling a Johnny story from Jolly Farm, who's a Burmese refugee. Like, why is that interesting? What's interesting is Vivian uh, listening as Johnny shares his own story and makes food from his culture. I mean, you know, mm. nobody, nobody digs talking heads, you know, no. folks have the ability to share their own stories. So just allowing folks to do that. Okay. So now that we've gone through this recap episode and we've learned why humans respond to stories and how to use that information of why they respond to them to tell stories effectively and efficiently in multiple different ways, how to listen to our audience to be better communicators, right? After we've learned all that about how stories work, now we got to talk about application. How do we apply it, right? The One of the biggest questions I get or the biggest struggles I see people dealing with is how to take that knowledge once I've taught them about stories and put it in, a, in an action plan. Where do we tell the stories? You know, how do we tell the stories? On what platforms? How long should a story be? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like they, this sticks people. They love to learn about stories and nerd out about them like I do, but then they get stuck on how to put that into application, how to apply it to their plan. My next guest is Melanie Diesel, who literally breaks down a, a, a content creation plan that gives that off a of one seed idea, you can create a hundred different pieces of content and actually more than that. But she has this grid, this 10 by 10 grid that you can, it's almost like a game. She's like, she gamifies content creation and storytelling in terms of where you can put it in what format, etc. The first thing, what I love about what she says, which is so true is to craft, is to craft the message. What is the message you're trying to say and to whom then you can choose what platform it makes sense to go on. But the beautiful thing about them is it's not like each piece of content that you have is only one story or one one story that you have only equates to one piece of content. You can make a hundred plus pieces of content on the same story. And Melanie shows you how not in a big fluffy theory way, but really like here are 10 platforms. Here are 10 story focuses. You can literally do the grid and you can choose number, you know, number four, and then E on the other grid, and then find where that meets, and boom, you have an, an Instagram story about history, you know? This is another book that I definitely recommend, The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas for Marketers and Creators. Check that out. In the meantime, listen to my friend Melanie Diesel. Every piece of content that you can create or that you have ever consumed is made up of two elements. It's a focus, so that's the message, the story, what it's mm -hmm. about. And it's a format. It comes to life in some sort of way, you know, writing, video, audio, etc. So once we understand that, that every piece of content we might create for our audience has those two elements, then by having a list of potential focuses and a list of potential formats, it becomes really easy to come up with unique combinations and new mm. ways to tell stories that you maybe hadn't thought of before right. because 
you're sort of picking one from one list and one from the other and seeing new ways that these things might work together. So uh, we can walk through a couple examples here. Let's talk about um, a couple of different focuses, uh, yeah. that, stories that we might tell. Right. So the focuses, again, are those things that you tell your stories about. So the first mm. one that's in the book and that is my absolute favorite is people. I think so often, you know, people focused stories, the stories that focus on people or groups, individuals or groups of people are some of the most compelling stories out there because they're mm. so relatable. You yeah. see yourself, you see someone, you know, so looking for those people within your organization or outside of your organization that you can tell stories about. So if you're a small business owner, um, you know, bookstores do this oftentimes where they create content, what their, their employees make book recommendations, right? Yeah. Um, those kinds of things. It's a really easy way to do it. This is what a person, you know, is choosing from amongst our, our uh, our offerings, um, but this could be telling a customer story. Your testimonials mm -hmm. and your case studies fall into this category. Um, you know, ta interviewing your founder, talking to happy customers, all yeah. of this kind of content where people are at the center of the story are really you know really compelling, really relatable content. So people is one of my absolute favorite, and I always ask for every situation: Can we tell the story through a person's perspective? I think that's the best way to do it. Big time. Uh, so the next one I would say I want to dive into is process. So okay. process is really fun. And I think process is going to be particularly important for those of us who are maybe struggling in this current uh, environment with, with COVID-19, because many of the things we would have been doing ourselves, we are now going to have, or we, rather that we would have found someone else to do, yes. we may now have to do ourselves. So it's not hard to imagine an environment where a few weeks from now, I've got to be looking up how to cut my husband's hair because his barbershop <laughs> is still closed, well, right? Yeah. So I'm going to need that process-focused content. Hopefully I'll do a good job. We'll see, <laughs> right? Um, but looking up those things, that we uh, creating process focused content really walks people through a process. So, so like how to guides. Exactly. And another one that I want to give out that I think a lot of people may be avoiding is data. So data focused content, I think is a really cool opportunity. Yeah. Let's so, talk about that. How do we make data yeah. interesting for people who aren't, <laughs> who aren't, you know, like the people creating it? Yeah. So, I mean, when you talk about data-focused content, it doesn't have to be just sharing a bunch of data points, right? It doesn't right. have to be just, here's 15 statistics on a bulleted list, and that's the end of the, end yeah. of the thing. But the idea is to say, how could we tell this story through numbers? Mm. How, how could we approach the story through numbers? So, if you think of an, uh, an example where um, we had our, our diner that we were referencing yeah, right yeah, yeah. earlier, who's trying to decide about TikTok, if they're saying, look, we need to talk to our audience a little bit, how could we do that through data? Well, what if they shared just a little inside scoop that says, we go through this many dozen eggs every single morning making omelets, right? Um, our waitress who's been here the longest has worked here for this number of years. On average, our wait staff walks three and a half miles per shift just mm. walking around the restaurant. So just asking how could they share whatever story they want to tell about what, you know, their place in the community, their customers, their products, whatever it may be. How do they share that story through numbers? So I'll give you a good example. When, uh, when I came out with the book, one of the things I asked myself is how could I tell the story of the book through numbers? Like I, how do I practice what I preach? Yes. And so I had a page on my website I created where I shared, okay, here's how many words, how many pages, how many different cafes did I work in while I was oh, trying I love to that. book? Um, how many people were mentioned in the acknowledgments? How many times did I use the word content? You know, so I kind of went through and pulled a bunch of just interesting, fun numbers to see this is sort of my book by the numbers. And you could do the same thing for your business. Okay, another guest that I had on this season that 
we really became close after this and really became a friend and mentor of mine is Denise Withers. And Denise Withers is a change agent. This is what she does. She uses storytelling for change. She tells environmental stories. She's a documentary filmmaker like me. But she uses a process called story design to to plot out the stories that she wants to tell, okay? Story design is very similar to design thinking, but it's using storytelling or even think about it like storyboarding to think about potential ways that a journey could go. That could be a journey for your client, a journey for the environment, a journey for, you know, humanity, whatever. But story design is a concept of how to to build your way out of a problem, right? How to th- you're faced with a problem or a task that you're trying to overcome and to use storytelling as a way to look at the potential different outcomes that you may face, okay? And we had another guest on in a previous season, Nick Sung, who worked for Pixar and helped Airbnb do this exact thing by using story design. He helped he helped them draw out the potential outcomes of a host or guest of Airbnb and therefore Airbnb was able to you know, fix any issues that may come up ahead of time and be preventative, right? And make the journey as smooth and possible for their customers, okay? Now, Denise uses this process to help people create change, positive change in the world. And this, this at the end of the day, you know, I definitely got into storytelling as a way to, to market my ideas and products if I have them and my services, But what really lights me on fire is like, I too, I want to be an agent of change. I want to make the world a better place. Again, I think we're all starting to get that way now in this crazy time that we're living in. But that's something that really, that really lights me up. And sometimes it may come off as cheesy, but it's, it's, I don't know. It just, uh, what's the point, right? What's the point if you're not really trying to leave the earth and the world in a, in a better place than, than you received it. And it's challenging. It's challenging at times, but Storytelling comes back to connection, and I think if we connect as humans by sharing these stories, then, then we have a chance. But if we're out there just out all by ourselves doing our own thing, then I don't think that we have a chance. People like Denise Withers and her approach and view in the world make me feel like we have a chance. Listen to what she has to say. So design thinking um, is really, it's a popular uh, management tool these days. It's basically a creative problem-solving tool. And one of the things that a couple of things that make it different are that it's very uh, human centered or very user centered. So instead of designing what I think is best for people, I'm going to ask people and work with them to try to figure out what they actually need. Well, the other thing that is really important that differentiates is um, if I come up with an idea for a product or a service, rather than just charging ahead and delivering it, I actually prototype it. Yes. Right. And I test it out and I find out, I tested it with the people who would use it, yes. find out if it works or not. And story is actually a really powerful prototyping tool. So yeah. design thinking is really just a creative problem solving process. So story design is really, it's the combination of storytelling and design thinking. And so it comes back to, you know, there's so much story training going on right now. And, and I have a bit, of, I have a bit of a beef with a lot of it because Let's hear it. I, yeah, I, I you know, maybe we share the beef. Yeah. And so much of it is here's how you turn on a camera. Here's how you stand on stage and project your voice. Right. And, <laughs> and that's not storytelling. And no, so my, no. my two senses, if you don't understand how to structure and tell a good story, how to design a story to achieve a specific purpose, mm-hmm. You can have, you know, the best Hollywood effects in the world and your movie is still going to suck. Right. And so 
that's the that's the design piece how do we bring that design practice into storytelling because if you're if you're um you know if you're an author and you're writing fiction or if you're writing hollywood scripts you're designing a story yes. right you're setting out you have a problem that you want to solve which yes. is maybe as simple as i just want to engage people um, but there's a purpose for it and then the process that you go through is how are you going to solve the problem and the thing that i love about it with story is so the the um, you know the author is going through this design process in terms of figuring out how I'm going to create the story, mm-hmm. but the, here's where the design piece comes in for people who want to use it is the hero is actually a designer mm-hmm. because the hero is designing a solution to the problem that he has right. So if right. I go back to Lord of the Rings and Frodo, Frodo has to design a solution to the problem of how do I destroy the Ring of Power? Yes. And so Frodo goes through a design process where he comes up with ideas and he tests them out and they don't wow. work. Right. If you remember the movie, I mean, I'm a huge fan, right? Like <laughs> when, when he gets the ring of power and he gets sent off, you know, the first thing he's told is he has to get to the village of Bree and Gandalf will meet him there. And so he thinks that's all he has to do. That's his whole problem. Just right. get to the village of Bree. And he tucks the ring in his pocket and he says, well, I can cut across country easily enough. Right. And off he goes. And if you know the movie, all hell breaks loose and he almost gets killed. And then he finally gets to the village of Bree and Gandalf isn't there. And now he has a new, a new problem, problem. <laughs> that he has to solve. Yes, yes, yes. I'm seeing right? it. Yeah. And so Frodo is a designer. Frodo is designing a solution to his problem. Mm. And so that's how I bring that, you know, what can be a complex topic of design thinking and make it really tangible and easy for people. So if you're designing you know, if you're sitting at home right now and you're running a restaurant and your restaurant business has just collapsed because of the right. coronavirus, you're sitting there and your, your problem might be, how am I going to um, change my business right now so that I can continue to make money? Or your problem might be, Huge. well, when I reopen, you know, what is my business going to be? Yeah. And then you actually use the process of storytelling and story design to create that solution. Okay, and the final recap that we're going to have today is going to end us on a lighter note. We're going to have some fun. This is from Kathy Klotz Guest, who is an improv comedian and stand-up comedian, and she uses comedy in her storytelling and how to connect with her customers. She comes from a marketing background too, but she's been an improv comedian for a long, long time. And that process, for those that that, that follow me and have ever seen me speak, you know I often use Alan Alda's bit um, that, that uses improv tactics and techniques in his presentations. Um, and Kathy knew exactly what I was talking about. But she talks about the concept of yes anding, and that's when you're in improv and you can't shut down anything that your teammate, if you will, that your partner proposes, right? You have to just roll with it, and that's called yes anding instead of saying, yeah, but, 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 you know. So if a person says, hi, I'm a fireman, then you have to say yes and you don't have any fire to put out and, you're, you know, the water hose isn't working, and then they say, yes, and because of that, I'm sitting in here playing cards with, with the other firemen in the office, whatever. <laughs> I'm not a professional improv comedian. <laughs> but the point is to not shut down what they're saying. So think about when you're with a client, right? You don't want to say like, ah, that's a stupid idea. 
or mm, I wouldn't do it that way, right? Because now, now you're putting this, this vibe, this feeling out there that is not about connection, right? That's what stories are about, connection and building something from that connection with other humans. There is no better representation of that than yes anding, okay? Taking what they say and accepting it, and you may need to shift it a little bit. That's okay. It's a dance. Your relationship with a client is a dance, so you may need to shift it, but if you shut it down, that's not going to give you in the space to connect as humans and then create something great, okay? So Kathy talks about how we can do that and how we can use comedy to yes and whatever cards we are dealt. Improv is you are on stage with an ensemble and you are building scenes together in real time. You're getting an audience suggestion and then with your your cast members, you are letting go and recognizing that you are yes anding. You are saying yes to whatever offer comes your way. And together, little by little, you're building a story, Mm. but you're doing it in real time without a net, completely collaboratively. And, and it's a powerful, powerful way to think about how storytelling works with a team. What does it require from you differently as the comedian? It requires an amazing amount of listening. Mm. You've got to listen. And stand-up, uh, we, we have what we call crowd work. Crowd sure. work. So I might mm-hmm. stop my joke, whatever set list I have, and I'm going to interact with the audience. That's called mm-hmm. crowd work. I'm doing okay. my crowd work. But the only way that that works is I'm listening to and responding to yes, Annie, whatever's happening in real time with the audience. Yeah. And improv is all about listening. If I come on stage and I've endowed myself as what we call self-endow as a mom. So I come on stage, two, two players come on to start a scene and I endow myself as a mom and you, you come on and call me a werewolf. Mm-hmm. The answer is I'm the best damn werewolf mom on the planet. (laughs) I'm both. I have to say yes and. Uh And so the way, what it requires is an extreme amount of saying, I'm going to build this with you. Whatever you give me, I'm going to add it to what I've already built and I'm going to be integrative. And that takes an amazing amount of letting go, listening, building on what other people offer. Which is a problem for, for all of us, I would say, but especially if we're telling our brand stories, right? How, how often do you see people that you, that you may work with that get this like tunnel vision of like, this is what we're talking about. This is the story that we're telling and they don't open up. And, and... <laughs> It's so true. It's, it's interesting. Um, I was thinking about this whole COVID thing that we're in and nobody would choose this. Nobody would choose it. However, we're at this moment in storytelling where we need to yes and to say yes to whatever cards got dealt. Mm, Which means when you, when you talk about listening, when you choose, I'm seeing brands right now, we're seeing the good and the bad and the ugly. I know Mm. you are too. When you see a brand out there still pursuing business as usual, as if nothing's changed, that is the ultimate yes but. It's a, I don't care audience that your needs have changed. You made me an offer and you're saying, no, 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 I'm not interested. But I'm going to say, too bad, this is what I have scheduled for my, you know, for all my social media, and this is what I'm going to do. That's the ultimate yes. (laughs) And so we're in a moment of yes and storytelling. Yes and is just recognizing that the audience needs have changed. And rather than fighting it and just, you know, shoving your stuff down their throats, it's like, all right, I get it. You're, You're going through some stuff. How do we take what you need 
and understand our long-term goal, not the short-term stuff just to make money, um, but the longer-term brand story and how do we make some changes? I mean, if, if I'm Patagonia, for example, I understand I still have a commitment to the environment. Sure. But I know that there are some people yeah. out there that can't really think about writing a check to environmental causes when they have lost a job because of COVID and now they're in the throes of COVID. Well, how can I then take that and yes and and say, all right, we still have a commitment to the environment. Is there something we can do about local community things that you can do right now to support environmentalism at home? Can we yeah. do some local things? So we bring it from this world thing to your needs here at home that affects you personally. Mm. That's the kind of yes and that great storytellers need to really understand. Totally. This is like the definition of empathy, right? Of, of understanding what your people need to, how they need to be served in, in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I and love there's that. a lot of brands that just, we, we all know don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> but to your point, they didn't really get it before. So I wouldn't expect that they necessarily have it now. However, here's the thing, all is not lost. We're in this sort of the dark night of the soul in storytelling where I think if you had empathy before, you're going to probably be further ahead of the curve. But yep. at the very least, now's the time to start really honing it. It's not lost, but now is, you've got to understand now, you know, how you can throw out the old messages and really figure out where people are at and embrace some new stuff. Okay, my beautiful people, my compelling storytellers, that is the season four recap. I hope that it has been helpful. I know it is chock full of golden nuggets and you should take them all and apply them to your storytelling journeys, okay? We are gonna take just a, a week or two off and come back with season five. And as I told you in the intro to this episode, we are not looking back. This rocket ship is soaring and we are gonna help people become better storytellers and hopefully better humans along the way. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you all. We'll see you in season five. My name is Rain Bennett. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow. And that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.